hello. Check, check, one, two, okay. <clears throat> Welcome to Sports with Chris Rawl. I am Chris Rawl, and I will be talking about sports. On today's show, I discuss desire, hope, and the huge complexities of the heart. Why does the heart want what the heart wants? Those of you who listen to this show know that Liesl Mueller has become the official poet of this podcast, and I will continue today by starting with her words. Desire has no object, it simply happens, rises and floats, lighter than air, end quote. Um, I love her words in many ways. I've been reading a book of hers recently, that's obviously where a lot of this is coming from. There's a lot of things that have stood out as it pertains to my life, as it pertains to relationships, as it pertains to my love for sports, and this intrinsic feeling inside me of passion and joy that comes from these particular things. And as I think about them, and I read that line, some of the stuff really sticks with me. It simply happens. I really love that. Uh, There are ways that I can verbalize why my heart wants what it wants, and there are other ways that I just cannot because it is impossible. I think everybody can hear and feel what I'm saying as it pertains to their own life. There are ways that you feel, and you know why you feel that way. And there are ways that you just go, I don't know. It simply happens. I want to rewind back to when I was seven years old. It's the age for me that I just kind of identify with first memories and first feelings of passion and things that have translated into adulthood. It's 1993. Yeah, I'm born in 1986. Thus, I'm sitting there at seven years old. And it's the year that I identify myself falling in love with football, the sport, which makes no sense because I'm in a family where nobody likes football. There's nobody who likes sports in my family. My mom and dad, they don't care about it. My older brother, he's just a, he's a total nerd baller. He goes on to get a PhD from Stanford and he's in a chemistry lab somewhere touching a bunch of beakers and test tubes. That, I got some younger sisters. They don't care for sports at all. This is the environment that I'm growing up in. And for whatever reason, I couldn't tell you, my seven-year-old self couldn't tell you, football is something that I gravitated towards. Remember, it simply happens. So making just as little sense, I gravitate towards Nebraska football. Back in the day, it's not like it is now where you can get any game you want at any given time. There's a finite amount of games that were shown on the television. And Nebraska, because they were good, they were one of the teams that would be shown more than other teams. So maybe it's just because they're the team on TV. Maybe it's because... I was way too into corn at that age, which I most definitely was. I don't, I can't explain that. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. All I can tell you is that it simply happens. So that's what occurred at the time. Uh, I feel this spark inside and I interpret it as, oh, 
this is this is passion. This is something that I feel for this particular thing. In this case, maybe people think it's weird. It's a f- sport and it's a team, but it, it's just something that's here and I'm going to run with it. I'm sure my seven-year-old self who's sitting there eating a bunch of corn couldn't identify any of this and couldn't understand that this was laying the groundwork for something that will carry on until I literally die at this point. I think it was just a simple pursuit, uh, something that I also agree with, of just, if you feel something, it's probably worthy of pursuit. So that year, it's the first game that is synonymous in my mind with this drive, this desire, this part of the heart that wants something and you can't really identify why but you know that it's there it's the orange bowl against florida state nebraska they come in undefeated florida state's heavy favorites double digits they got a fantastic team that year charlie ward he's the heisman trophy winner at quarterback goes on to play point guard for the new york knicks bobby bowden legendary coach on the other sideline tom osborne's there looking for his first national championship there's the first game that I associate in my mind with the particular experience of sports as a thing that make you feel. Comes down to the end. And Nebraska has a field goal to win on the final play of regulation. I have a kicker at the time. His name's Byron Bennett. Comes in, it's a, I want to say 45, 47 yards, somewhere in that range. And I, and I remember sitting there, I'm going, this is going to be great. I'm going to explode. I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know why I want this so bad, but I do. And Nebraska's going to kick a field goal. That's going to be amazing. And he kicks it, and the ball's in the air, and it misses. Florida State's celebrating, and Nebraska's going home for another year without a national title. And despite the fact that I'm seven, and I've only been <laughs> tuned into this sport and this team for one year, I feel the the weight of all of this. It's kind of the earliest association in my mind of the rise and the fall that accompanies desire. This feeling of, I want this bad. And I can't really describe why, but I know that it's there. And if it's there, it's worthy of pursuit. And it's still there, obviously. And I kind of want to discuss some of that uh, emotion and that stuff within more because there are still ways that I can't fully describe that feeling and why it's there. There are other ways that I can't. I mean, you could theorize for a million years about all this stuff. Starts as some chemical chain in the body, the brain releasing some sort of chemical into your bloodstream and your mind and just a it's a chemical spark you know that's what some people say it's the same feeling i have the first time that i meet a specific girl and for whatever reason it feels different and i go there's something inside me that i feel and i could interpret that in a lot of different ways millions and millions could just be this could be simple sexual attraction. Another thing that in some ways I can verbalize and in others it is impossible to. Just the way that I desire and want these certain things when it comes to the opposite sex. 
could be the intrinsic human need that I have and that a lot of people have of this emotional yearning, this emotional connection. Oh, I really crave that and want that. And just in this brief moment with this woman, I feel it for whatever reason. It could be just the way that she spoke. It could just be chemicals released in my brain. It could be literally anything. It could be the feeling of basic camaraderie that, that I have just being in the physical presence of this other person. And for some reason, I feel more comfortable with this person than with somebody else. It could be a million different things. But as I seek to interpret it and understand more about myself, I come back to the beginning. And I go, I don't know. There's a lot of things this could be. But there's one thing that I know. And there's one thing that I value when it comes to human experience. Uh, it's that if there's something inside my heart that feels something, there's this desire there that has simply happened. I know that it is worthy of pursuit. That doesn't guarantee that it is going to be good. It doesn't guarantee that it is going to go well. It could bring a lot of pain and heartbreak. It could bring a lot of positive things. You never really know. But I abide by that principle. If you feel something, it is worthy of pursuit. So on a humanistic level, ultimately, uh, for me, my desire comes down to two things with people that I am close with. It comes down to honesty and it comes down to love. Two very simple things in ways, two very complex things in other ways, and two things the only two things that I'm really adamant in offering to those around me. You know me, if you have been close with me or are close with me, you can go and talk to literally anybody and they will back up what I'm saying, which is, mm, I know what Chris gives. He will give you honesty. He will not hide things from you. And if you're in his presence, you will feel the depth of his love. Now, that comes with a desire on my part to have those things return to me. Reciprocity, two-way street, call it whatever you want. But when those things are given from me in a free and wholehearted manner, I want those returned. That's a desire that I have. It's part of it I can verbalize and part of it I can't. It's just something that is there within me that has always been there. So the foundational relationships that exist within my life, they are fueled by this two-way street. What I give, what I desire. And there are certain times that this has come to a head and I've had to say, mm, this cannot work for me. And there are ways that I can verbalize why it cannot and there are ways that I can't. But all I know that I feel something in my heart and it says, this thing that has been uh, an integral piece of my life and has been important to me, it cannot be here anymore. So in some ways, I can describe what my heart wants in ways that make sense. I think about that stuff a lot. Those of you who listen to this show consistently know that. Uh, I'm very reflective in how I live and how I pursue the passions that I feel inside of my soul. One of those passions is most obviously sports. Rewind back to seven years old. The spark is there. 
And for reasons unknown, I take it and run with it into present day. People who know me, they know that I have a deep and abiding passion for sports. In my younger years, I was asked about that a lot. Because I think intense passion, maybe it seems a little more foreign to that particular age group when you're in your teenage years and your main motivation and desire is to grab a frosty and dip french fries in it, which I did at the time too. Don't, don't get me wrong. But people would always ask me, well, why, are you, why are you so into this Nebraska football team? Why do you like hockey? What, what's going on here? What, why are you so weird about all this? And at the time, I did think it was kind of weird. I was just like, I don't know. I don't care. This is who I am. I'm not going to make bones about it, but I also can't fully verbalize it. And I've noticed a flip-flop as I've gotten older where I get asked about this deep and abiding passion for sports infinitely less the older I've gotten into present day where I'm asked about it virtually never. And, and I think that's a reflection of the way that people's opinions and thoughts about passion changes the older they get. I do believe that the older you get, the more respect you have for passion in any form. I know that in myself. I have felt that shift the older I've gotten. Um, I've always been a passionate person in a lot of ways, but I haven't necessarily searched for that in others. In any form, it doesn't matter to me. All that matters is I see passion reflected in some way. And yet the older I've gotten, that's something that I really crave in people around me. I really search for that, whether that's in just friends or family members or romantic partners. That's something that I really, really enjoy being around. Uh, you know, maybe it's just because the older we get, there's a higher chance that passion starts to dwindle out of our lives in various ways. And so when people see it, they respect it, they yearn for it, and they want that within. You know, sometimes it simply happens. You can't, you can't necessarily force some of this stuff. So if it's there, you go after it. So there are ways I can verbalize um, the meaning of sports to me, why that spark has occurred and why it continues to flourish. I believe on a deep level, I believe sports are an art form. And I think anybody can understand the spark that art provides. We all have the form that we gravitate towards. could be reading a book and just gasping at the way that these certain words are arranged. It could be staring at a painting and seeing everything click into place in your mind in a way that takes your breath away. It could be a song that just the way that the lyrics are sung or the words that are there, uh, they, they go inside you and they unlock something or just the, the, the way that the bass line rolls or the drums or any of that stuff. I think everybody understands that. And I, I personally think that is tied into what art at its highest level provides, uh, a feeling of a world without limits, a feeling that I know how to play guitar but I could never in a million years do that. Um, I know how to paint, but I could never in a million years do that. 
And so even within the confines of my own life where I go, yeah, I'm limited in every conceivable way. But when I see somebody else do something that I understand because I've participated in that particular forum and I see it done in such a manner that almost defies comprehension, that presents a a world that seems really hopeful and without limits in a way that I sometimes cannot provide for myself in certain ways. That's what art is to me. So that is how sports can be processed in my mind. That is how sports can be processed in my heart. Aaron Rodgers zipping a football through the air. Very mundane movement. I can throw a football. But just the way that he does it, uh, just the, the way that it pops out of his hand, the way that it rips through the elements and 40 yards downfield, he's drilling Devontae Adams on his back shoulder as he's stopping on a dime and somehow Rodgers has seen this three seconds in advance. That's art to me. Nathan McKinnon on the avalanche, just blazing through the neutral zone. You see that at the right time in the right light. He gets the puck on his stick and he's just barreling through everybody and deacon here and deacon there and then ripping that wrist shot that just explodes off the stick. That's art. LeBron chasing down some unsuspecting victim who thinks they're going to get a easy layup or dunk. You can see it on the TV screen in advance because he's there trailing and you just you feel that swell. It simply happens, right? Because I know, oh, here it comes. And he comes flying through the air. It seems like he jumps 18 feet. And it presents that feeling that art provides. Uh, uh, the human body without limits. I know how to jump, but I can sure as hell not do that. I think people all understand that with, with the, these other athletes, but it, you can even take it down further. And, and for me, I do. Because it can be provided uh, levels that maybe aren't necessarily, this is the most iconic quarterback ever, the most iconic basketball player ever. Uh, one of those things, it's Dominican Sue, Nebraska Cornhuskers, one of the lone bright spots of the last 20 years for Nebraska football fans. And I think about his 2009 Big 12 title game against Texas. And he's helicoptering Colt McCoy into the sky. Colt McCoy, who is a very big and strong man. And Dominican Sue would grab him and look like he was tossing a sack of potatoes around the football field. That's art. That's one of the ways that I can identify how the feeling in my heart makes sense. There's more. You know, sports, sports for me exist as a binding tie. That intrinsic human need that I spoke about earlier, just camaraderie, just a feeling of belonging, feeling that these people understand me and I understand them. My youngest sister, she doesn't care about sports at all. She lives in Washington, Washington State. And uh, she always makes fun of me because I like sports a lot. And she always is making fun of the fact that I'll wear an Aaron Rodgers jersey from time to time because she thinks jerseys are funny in general, which is actually true. (laughs) So one day I just get an email from her 
And she's like, I have a story that you'll be interested to hear about. You know, I'm sitting at work, working in an office with people and I see some people and they're wearing Packers stuff, you know, Packers jersey and somebody else has a Packers whatever. And they don't really know one another because she works in a bigger office and and then they get together. It might have been a literal water cooler moment. They like congregate somewhere and she's kind of watching this, but somewhat close by. She goes, you know what? For the first time, I kind of understood a little bit of whatever there is that exists inside you because these people got together and they were so happy and they were talking about the Packers and they were so excited and none of them knew one another, but there was this connection thread that they all had that I wasn't privy to because I didn't really understand how they could be connected in this particular way. But based upon the way that I know you, this is my sister speaking to me, there was some spark of that that made sense to me. And I just wanted to send you this email to let you know, which I laughed about and said, that's cool because that is something that exists uh, within my heart that makes sense. Sports is a binding tie. When I was 18 years old, I flew to New York City by myself. I was meeting some people there. And it's the, you know, I'm the big, bad 18-year-old. I'm a grown adult and I'm going off into the world. It's a big moment in my life. So I hop on the plane and I sit down next to this old man. And like, I don't know why, but we just randomly start talking. And so I find out he's a big NFL fan and he finds out I'm a big NFL fan. And then we just start talking for four straight hours. I promise you, four straight hours, we talked about Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, who were the two quarterbacks at the time. Uh, this is back in, you know, 19 or 2004. And, and we're having this big discussion. Four straight hours. I'm sitting there talking with this old man and I'm going, well, if you look at the passer rating of the two and he's going, well, hold on now. Uh, you got to understand that the Patriots have won the Super Bowl. And so this and this, I'm going, well, the passing yard here. I'm going nerd baller. He's going old man baller. The main point is we get off. I leave. He leaves. I never see him again. And only in this vein do I ever even conjure up that moment in my mind. It's something that is sitting there in the back of my brain dormant. And then as I was thinking about the show, I went, whatever happened to that old man who I talked for four consecutive hours about Peyton Manning's passer rating with? <laughs> but that's, that's a draw. That is a way that I have found uh, the feeling in, inside me that simply happens makes sense. Sports as a mechanism to learn. That's another way that I am able to identify that makes sense. I love the pursuit of knowledge. I don't know why. Gravitated towards that for whatever reason. Couldn't tell you. But that's something that's there that exists. And I feel it. And if it exists and I feel it, then it's worthy of pursuit. There's strategy involved with every single sport. You could dive into it for your entire life and never get to the bottom of it. There's just information everywhere, articles you can read, podcasts. Give it to me all. Feed it to me. It's the statistics that go into each and every game or career. You know, when I'm a kid, I'm cutting out newspaper box scores and just staring at these numbers, touching myself. Weird stuff. Little corn boy staring at his numbers. And for whatever reason, that's something that made me feel. The endless sheets of... Gambling numbers in present day that I just love pouring over. Totals and spreads and look at these weird profits and futures. And I could just sit and stare and flip through these numbers day and night 
because they increase my knowledge. They're a mechanism through which I can learn about simple numerical value, about sports, about all of this stuff, and they satiate that part of me that exists. I want to pursue knowledge in some capacity. When I can combine that with another one of my passions, sports, well, that's a pretty damn good union. So those are, those are ways I can describe that make sense. And yet, in some ways, it is impossible to describe what my heart wants. That is true for all of us. Uh, if I had you here in front of me, and we were having a two-way conversation about passion, what are yours, what are mine, I'm sure you could go through a similar process that I've gone through. Where in some ways you would be able to verbalize your passion for whatever it is you love. It could be knitting, it could be skiing, it could be playing piano, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. What matters is that you feel about this thing and you're going after it. So you could verbalize some of that. And then in other ways, on maybe deeper levels, you wouldn't be able to. That's what I have as well. Uh, you go back to when I'm seven years old. And for whatever reason, it simply happens. That spark. And it's carried on into present day. And there's this desire, this yearning that exists for me for Nebraska football to be good again. I don't know why it's there. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you why this has become a piece of my life. I couldn't tell you why this has become a piece of my identity. I could not tell you. All I can say is that it happened when I was young and it continues into present day. And as a person who wants and makes a point of pursuing passions that exist in my heart, it has snowballed. So less than four years ago, Nebraska hires Scott Frost to be the head football coach. To the time, I believed to be the perfect union of hope and desire. The opening press conference it symbolized all of that. Ross got up in a room and it was filled with ex-Nebraska players back from the glory days. All over and they're all there in ways that they had not been over the course of the last 15 years. And Frost gets up and he says all the things that in my heart I desired. He says, this is the place where I was born. Um, this is the place in 1997 that I quarterbacked Nebraska to a national championship. The last time that happened. I learned under the tutelage of Tom Osborne what made this team special in those days when they were a dynasty. I understand the principles that went into that process. I understand what is tenable in present day and what is not. And after I went to Nebraska, I had a long and winding path that brought me back to the beginning. And I was, a, was coaching at Northern Iowa and I coached under Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich at Oregon. I ran this high-powered, explosive, cutting-edge offense. And then I was the head coach at UCF and I took him to an undefeated season. And we beat Auburn and everybody celebrated and now I am here. And I understand what can be applied from the past for success in present. 
and I understand what exists now in the present that we must take and make a part of our program. I understand all of this. I'm listening to this, and I can assure you that I'm feeling things because it's touching on everything that, for reasons unknown, my heart desires. Oh, I just want Nebraska to be good again. That emotional investment is there within me. I know that for a fact because I live it. And this press conference, it reflects that, something that I want to see. Uh, The emotional investment from Scott Frost, it is so clearly there. I knew that at the time. I see that every time he steps in front of a microphone. I saw it last Saturday after he's there talking after Nebraska loses a close, hard-fought game to top five Ohio State. And he's listing all the towns in Nebraska that he lived in. And he's saying, man, I bleed for this program. And I do believe all those things. And he's saying, we're so close. And I want to believe that. (laughs) And I don't know if I do. I don't know. So far, it's been, when you look at the cold, hard bottom line, which sometimes you must do. Even me, a person who is more about the journey than the destination, sometimes you must look at the bottom line. And so far through nearly four seasons now, it's been a completely unfulfilling journey. Nebraska has had a losing record every single year. They have not made a bowl game, something that is so damn easy to do in present day. It's almost incomprehensible that they have not done that through four seasons. And this year they are sitting on a 3-7 and seven record with games remaining at Wisconsin and against Iowa. Three and nine seems very likely. So now, Nebraska is barreling down the road to, we got to make a decision. And earlier this week, Chubb Alberts, the athletic director at Nebraska, comes out with a statement and he says, we are bringing Scott Frost back. Um, We're firing four assistants. Offensive coordinators out, running backs coach, quarterbacks coach. But we are bringing Scott Frost back because of incremental progress. Those are his words, incremental progress. And I hear that, and I'm kind of torn. This is a a very uh, complex emotional situation for me in a way that many things are. Human relationships, they're complex. Uh, Pursuing passions. Sometimes it seems simple and other times you can't make sense of up from down. This would be one of those places because incremental progress, I do believe that to be true. Nebraska is three and seven. That's an atrocious record. At the same time, you look at the SP plus rating system. My favorite metric just measures your success on a down by down basis rather than uh, looking at, you know, uh, what, what, what was the end result? Stuff that I'm more into journey over destination. SP plus, yeah, Nebraska's 3-7, and seven, but they have them ranked in the top 25. And that kind of matches up with what I watch, which is on a down-to-down basis. I do think this team is actually kind of good. And yet, they find ways to lose every single game in a manner that defies comprehension. They're 3-7, and seven, and they have done this throughout the entire duration of Scott Frost's tenure. Is that just random chance, or is it a feature that is embedded within this program because of coaching or because of something deeper? I don't know. That's a question I always just kind of bounce back and forth on. Incremental progress, it's there. 
But at some point, uh, the rubber is going to meet the road. And a real, true decision is going to have to be made based upon the bottom line. I want to read another line from Liesl Mueller because she's just a total badass. We could not cope with the huge complexities of the heart. I feel that one too. I feel all her stuff. She's, she's phenomenal. Everybody should go and, <laughs> and parse her words. But I feel that one because it pertains deeply to the way that I feel and the way that I try to interpret what is going on inside my heart and what is going on inside my mind. Um, Nebraska is Nebraska is dancing with the devil because I believe they have to. Uh, they could have fired him this week. I think it was probably up in the air whether or not he was going to make it through this season. Instead, they extended for another year. And I believe that's because the program is in a place that I have been in in my own life. Uh, to fire Scott Frost is to truly confront the question, what now? That's a scary place to be. It's not an envious position to be in. Um, and going into it, if you know that that is the question that looms, I have a tendency to go, oh, I don't want, I don't want to get to that point. I don't want to end this thing if I have to ask the question, what now? And the future might not be as open-ended as I thought. So you can be on the fence about keeping or firing him strictly based on football terms, which is where I am. I don't necessarily think I have a strong opinion one way or the other. I'd probably lean towards, I think there should be another year there and just see what happens. But at the same time, in me, I, I think I have that same feeling that Nebraska's football program, program as a whole has and Trev Alberts as an athletic director has. It's just that uh, terrified feeling uh, that if you fire this person, you have to confront the question of what now. If this is not the person who is bringing our program back to life, person who seemed tailor-made for it, what now? Who is going to be that person? How could that person exist if this is not the one? So, if you believe in the cyclical nature of things, and I do believe in that, if you believe in the cyclical nature of things, then you believe that hope cannot be eliminated. I believe that you return to where you start. For me, where I start is a place of passion, a place of pursuit, a place of joy, and a place of hope. So you can follow that circle, and sometimes all of those things dwindle or are gone entirely, but you return to your starting point, and you realize, oh, within my own personal life, even if it seems otherwise at times, then I believe hope cannot be eliminated. I felt that on a personal level. Um, I've had to, you know, you got to pull the plug on a relationship, and I've been there. And it is not a place that I like to be. It is not a place that I want to be. When I have to say, oh, this thing and this person who were meaningful within my life, events have happened that caused me to feel 
that this is not in my best interest to be part of this relationship. And as I've said many times in the show, I feel this specific way, it is worthy of pursuit. So the elimination of that, you know, you sit down and it's all of the things that I don't want to be a part of. It's the sadness. It's that sense of loss. It's the frustration. It's the feeling that there was something that was there that was a piece of you that is now gone. And it feels like it will not be replaced. And in the moment, you go, this is too intense and I don't like this. And yet, over the course of time, as a person who believes in the cyclical nature of things, I I think that represents something positive. You go through all of that to get to the beginning. And you go, "Mm, this piece of me that is gone, it represents an open space for new things. It is something that I can take and fill with other people or inanimate objects or activities that I am passionate about, that I love, that I want in my life and I hope will provide me the things that I freely give, honesty and love. I'm feeling that right now in my own life. I can assure you of that. I felt that before. I will feel it again. Um, The optimism for the future that is born from the rubble of the past. And so I've confronted that question. What now? And it's not always easy. But, you know, the way that I live, I go, you will get to the end of this point. And when you get to the end of it, it's not an end, it's a beginning. The cycle, the circle. So Nebraska's, they're barreling down the road. (laughs) And they're not at the precipice, but that is what awaits. Because if frost goes down at Nebraska, it's going to be about as stiff of a test as you can possibly imagine for this particular concept, the way that I think and the way that I feel. Um, Can hope actually be eliminated? I believe on a human level, no. And yet, as I parse through my feelings and the, the sparks inside me that pertain to Nebraska football and just the downtrodden uh, descent that the last 20 plus years have been and that it seemed like it was all setting up for this incredible return to glory and now we're four years in and I'm getting the sad and sinking feeling that uh, maybe this desire and hope that I had in my heart maybe it wasn't founded on solid ground but I'll bring it all back to the beginning. If something makes you feel it's worthy of pursuit, I believe this wholeheartedly with every fiber of my being. For me personally, I believe it to be the essence of life. You pursue your heart's desires. Not at any cost, but you make damn sure that if you feel something, you take it to the end. And maybe it will end good. Maybe it will end bad. For me, that, that's the destination, and I care less about it than the fact that 
I pursued this thing that I felt was worth pursuing. I mean, there's the understanding in there that bad is going to accompany good. (laughs) As it turns out, uh, there are huge complexities of the heart. Sometimes the bad outweighs the good. Sometimes the good outweighs the bad. Um, You just know that you're going to ride the roller coaster when it comes to the pursuit of passion. The human brain it has the propensity to hold on to negative memories more vividly and for longer than positive memories. That's just how our brain is naturally wired. Again, I don't know why. I don't think anybody knows why. That's just a way that the human brain normally functions. And I felt that, and I've also, you know, made a concerted effort of, um, I'm going to try my very best to change this, to rewire my brain in a more positive manner. And you can't eliminate this. That's impossible. But, you know, I'm going to make a concerted effort to just think and embrace the positive things that exist, even in negative moments or things that ended up being negative overall. And I, and I'm able to do that with human relationships you know something can end poorly and i can still sit there and go there was a lot of things that i value and cherish that were a part of this particular thing and they're yeah sure there are negative memories in my mind about how this ended or the way that i was treated or this or that uh, that's that'll happen but at the same time i'm going to make a concerted effort to identify Nope. This is somebody who at one point in my life I held a great amount of value and esteem and love for and they provided me things X, Y, and Z even if it ended poorly. Now, Nebraska, (laughs) they put that to the test. And I realized this, well, I probably realized this subconsciously but I realized this even more vividly as I was thinking about this particular show. Because as I was stretching my mind back over the course of time, back to 1993. And I go, that's crazy. I mean, we're talking 28 years of memory and pursuit of something that makes me feel. And I go, what do I think about? And as time has worn on, even back in the glory days, (laughs) my mind gravitates towards uh, the negative. Go, yeah, well, Nebraska was balling out in 1996 or in the mid-90s, but I remember Scott Frost, the quarterback, and they go to Arizona State, Tempe, and Nebraska gets shut out 19-0. First time they've lost, the start, start of the season in 1996 was the first time they had lost since that January 1st game, 1994, Florida State, Nebraska. That first memory that I have of This is something that makes me feel. So Nebraska goes down 19-0, and I think further along, I go, what else do I remember? And I go, well, yeah, that same season, they play in the Big 12 title game against Texas, and man, if they just win that game, they play in the national title game that year, but James Brown, Texas quarterback, he's got fourth and inches from his own 29 with the clock dwindling up three, and they decide to go for it, and he hits a 60-yard pass, and it sets up the game-clinching touchdown. That's what keeps Nebraska out of the title game. 
And I go, well, what else do I remember? And I go, well, I remember Texas in 1999. Nebraska has one loss. They finished 12-1. and one. The only game they lost on the road in Austin. That's what kept them out of the national title game that's year. That's why Florida State and Virginia Tech played for the national title and not Nebraska. And I go, what else do you remember? I go, what about Southern Miss in 2004? Bill Callahan's first year. And I'm up at Utah State. And I'm sitting there in a in my dorm room by myself watching Nebraska open the season against a piss-poor Southern Miss Golden Eagles team. And Southern Miss comes into Memorial Stadium and wins. And it was kind of the dawning in my mind of this new age that I was entering into. Where maybe this team is not going to be good moving forward in a way that I always assumed it would. I felt a little bit of that, but only in retrospect can I say that's truly the moment that I would point to. I got a phone call from my friend who lived in Florida at the time. He called my door. I had a landline. And it rings and I answer it. And he goes, what the hell is going on? He's not even a Nebraska fan. Just people who know about Nebraska will call me and do weird stuff. And I go, I don't know. I can't even fathom this. He goes, this is insanity. It's Southern Miss. I go, I know. I don't know what to do. We talked about it for probably an hour, and that was that. <laughs> we talked about 2004, Nebraska Southern Miss for an hour, and then we hung up. And what else do you remember? Well, that Colt McCoy and Dominican Sue game in 2009, man, I had a lot of positive memories of Dominican Sue tossing McCoy around like a bale of hay, but what do I really remember about that game? It's the refs putting a second back on the clock and Hunter Lawrence kicking a field goal at the buzzer to win and take away what would have been the biggest victory of the last 20 years for Nebraska. Keep Nebraska, or keep Texas out of the national title game. It would have been the only time into present day since 2001 that Nebraska has defeated a top five team. It would have been all those things. Could have been a springboard to something bigger and better. Could have been nothing. You never know. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. So in this one particular area... <laughs> It's It feeds into this propensity of the human brain to retain negative memories more vividly and far longer than positive memories. I realize that. And I also would argue, well, there's not a lot of positive memories to have period about Nebraska football for literally 20 years. <laughs> and yet, even as I'm sitting here saying, it, it, I'm kind of running out of ways to hope Nebraska football becomes good again. You know, anybody with a brain would look at me and say, well, yeah, I've watched them for 21 years and just probably not going to happen there, pal. I think anybody could could and would say that. And yet, still I return, even as the one who kind of seemed preordained to lead Nebraska back, feels that noose tight around his neck. Still I return. Why? Because if something makes you feel, it's worthy of pursuit. And when you take that, you understand there are things that are going to happen that I might not be able to understand, but I must pursue. And that all ties into the words of Faisal Musil. We could not cope with the huge complexities of the heart. Thank you for listening. 
If you have any ideas or themes you would like explored, feedback in any way, or would just like to connect, email me at chris at ceo.com. 